Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Listening to a podcast from the Word. I wanted to do a festival, which is just covers. Yeah, where everybody came along and they they had to play half an hour of somebody else's songs. I think it'd be really popular because the B sides of you know the covers that when you get a, when you used to get a seven inch and the B side would be a cover. Yeah, it was fantastic. And yeah. what the people love when when they the bands go into the live lounge at Joe Wiley. Yeah, they they like all the popcorn. But they like things where they, they sort of know where they are. They've got well, something I, to hold on to. And also, you can raise an eyebrow and go, oh, yeah. Sort of started, yeah. Really. Oh, you get you a little ripple. Yeah. A little knowing ripple. We've sort of started a podcast now, haven't we? We started, a, we started an unofficial podcast topic about. Uh, oh, it's, yeah. not, it's not even on the agenda. Not put it on the end. Okay. Right. Seems I've not we started. Got, we've started. We've started. This is Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth. Answer your names. Matt Hall. Hello. Andrew Harrison. Hello. Uh, Matt Hall, this is the first time before you, you moved to the country. The last time before I moved to the country. The first time, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, going, uh, you're going up country. I'm going, I am. I'm, I'm getting, I'm going getting up out the of country, Dodge. baby, don't you want to go? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, heading uh, up the um, east coast line. Right. Somewhere south of Grantham. I, was, I, bet, I bet there isn't a song line with that. And we're going to get There should we'll, be, it we'll, sounds like there quickly, is. We'll very quickly find out how good that that line is yeah, won't we because yes. your plan is to be able to zip down here and uh, do your various yeah. bits and pieces bits and pieces including this podcast and then zip back and if the listeners would like to write a country song beginning the line somewhere south of, south of Grantham <laughs> yes. I'm sure we can speak it in the middle of the podcast uh, my horse went lame somewhere <laughs> south of Grantham <laughs> am I correct in saying that the only rock figure of renown associated with the fair town of Grantham is I think Bernie Taupin you could well be right. I think he comes from up there. Although I was, we were positing the other day how actually the person with the most influence on British music in the last 40 years yes. also came from Grantham. This Go is on. true. Um, Margaret Hilda Thatcher. <laughs> Without whom there is no 80s. Yes, and no anything. Yeah. Well, yes. What influence has she had on music? Well, apart from the fact that she put an awful lot of people on the dole, which meant they yes. could sit around all day yes. smoking... So she, she yes. so subsidised terrible groups. Yeah, well, she kind of reversed subsidised um, bands, didn't she? She kind of reversed subsidised uh, everything on two tone and all the kind of you know. But also, it's a really good point. So everything was done on the dole, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Prior to that, bands were not on the dole. They were in the art schools, which yeah. she got rid of. So she got rid of the art schools. Yes. Well, and, they're always um, in the time. Anyway. Diff- yeah. Difference between art school and the dole. Discuss. Yeah. Yes. So um, Margaret Thatcher, entirely benevolent, you know, influence on popular music. Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, you take it further, and, that, and actually, if you look at all that kind of shiny Human League, yeah. British Electric Foundation, Wham stuff, as Andrew said, from the eighties, mm. was all created as an antidote to, well, you know, the world may be going to hell on a handcart. Yes, but but, uh, but, but we're doing but really we're well. Yes, we've got soul on the doll. <laughs> yes, but we've got, <laughs> yes. <laughs> got shuttlecock down, down my yes. pants. You don't need a job to have a good time. That's as, uh, George told so, us. So you know, to be to be. You know, out of work in, in the early 1980s, was that better or worse than being out of work in 1965? Ooh. 
Who I, knows? I, I wouldn't know. Well, I would suggest it to Sir Lou Better, actually. <laughs> yeah? You know, because there were, there were a lot more, you know... Was it possible, was it possible take, to be out of work in 1965, though? Um, the booming yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. It's, some people probably met. There was also daytime TV in 
you used can, by some great podcast. Absolutely, <laughs> used by some great podcast. You can listen to these things in all their glory. And have you heard? Of you, well, you can dismantle them, can't you? You can just listen to the strings from Dock of the Bay or whatever. Or you the can, well, the ones I've heard this week um, are um, "Heard It Through the Grapevine" by Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. which is eight tracks. Fantastic. And you can just separate it, so you can just hear Marvin. Uh, and you can hear him at the beginning, just as the, clearly as the piano is playing, but you lose the piano. You hear him practicing. You hear him oh. just trying a little bit that he's going to sing later. And then when the drums come in, you can hear him just talk to the engineer going, great, drums in my ear. Ooh. This is on I Heard It Through the Grapevine. And it's the idea that it's always been there. Every time you've heard it... But you've never you've perceived never it before, it. because, yeah. <laughs> it's just astonishing how these things can be hidden. So there's that, and there's Superstition by Stevie Wonder, which is 16 tracks, obviously, you know, far yeah. more sophisticated. And there's The Beatles' Day in the Life, which is four tracks. Is, that, is that available knocking about multi-track on, on, I, uh, on Naughty I, Download? I, I, I couldn't possibly <laughs> confirm your Naughtydownload.com, <laughs> viewers. Yeah. But this is, this, is, this is not all that to do with guitar here, is it? A lot of this stuff is kind of leaking from studios and leaking from mastering places. I mean, I heard, what the hell, I had River Deep Mountain High or something you know, in, in, a, in a similar style because they just pop up on BitTorrent sites and, and all the rest of it. So you kind of get the chance to do what... You had to wait for them to do a classic albums on VH1 or whatever, and here's the drums from, you know, the end by the doors or something. Now you can do it at home in the, in the comfort of your own computer. Um, and I, it, it sort of just reinforces the degree to which... There's a lot more fascination about old stuff. You know, the hot, hot new stuff can arrive, but it's never going to be as exciting as excavating and picking apart something you thought you knew really well yeah. and discovering that you didn't really know it at all. And it's also that sense, in the way that records were made in the past, that sense of a bunch of people in a room yeah. at a particular time, 2.30 yeah. on a Thursday afternoon, there they all were, yeah. doing this. Well, Radiohead have been putting out their last two singles in um, via iTunes in parts, so it's drums and the bass and, and the voice and the strings and the rest of it, separate ones, in, and you can plug them into GarageBand and do your own mixes, and they've done these very successful sites where hundreds, in some cases thousands of independent mixes have been, have been uh, put up there. But to me, the interesting thing is just listening to the squeak of fingers on strings yes. that you didn't really know was there. Suddenly, it just feels incredibly real. It's right up in front of you, the way a produced and mastered and fixed track, even by someone like Radiohead, who tries to keep it, you know, sort of unadorned. You know, that, that stuff gets, just gets lost in the final mix. When you hear the parts, it is just fascinating. And all the bits sound vaguely, and I don't mean this to sound, you know, negative, but they sound vaguely amateur. They sound sort yeah. of unfinished. Well, that's you know, because they, they sound tentative rather yeah. than absolutely definite. Because if you were the guy playing the keyboard on I Heard It Through the Grapevine, now... You didn't know you were playing. You didn't know you were playing. You didn't know you were playing on I Heard It Through the Grapevine. You thought I just doing some... Serious point. Yeah. You know, so whereas any halfway good keyboard player nowadays, you told them to play Heard It Through the Grapevine, he'd do it perfectly. Yeah. Because he's heard it a million times. The yeah. guy playing it hadn't heard it a million <laughs> yeah. times. And didn't know whether it would be right or wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Just did it. This is this fascinating thing about, but uh, I know it's Andrew's favourite subject, but uh, <laughs> go and see Paul McCartney play live with the comparatively young band. I say young, but the yes. guys in the 40s. They play far better than the Beatles ever would have done because they've spent 30 years listening mm. to the Beatles records. Mm. And they just they can do an impression of absolutely every nuance. Yeah. And so but Paul it's... McCartney has never heard those things played like that before. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, um, it's but it's just kind of, it's kind of arid technique, isn't it? Really, it's much, as you say, it's not, the, the originals. When you hear these things, you know, isolated, they do sound raggedy and amateurish and kind of it's uncertain. But yeah. that's where the excitement is. That's where the genius is. Anybody who practices long enough can reproduce something. It's creating something in the first place when you've got no idea what you're supposed to be creating. That's but really I suppose, a magnetic thing. Yeah, I suppose also you didn't know you hadn't heard the final impression of it. You heard yeah. your bit. Yeah. And, you know, so you listen to Day in the Life and you listen to four tracks and, it, and each one of them sounds very tentative and uncertain. Put them together, sound, you know, that's the ear of the producer, I suppose. Yeah. Puts them together, sounds completely accomplished and you know, absolutely certain of itself, you know. But when you go back to the individual bits, it doesn't at all. Presumably, you know, in years to come, all this stuff is going to be available legit, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. That, they're already saying this, aren't they? With the, the, uh, I haven't delved into the world of kind of very complex remastering of, you know, 5.1 or all, all this kind of yeah. business. But they're getting towards this, aren't they, already? That yeah. You, you yeah. Can, you're getting something which is multi-tracked, 
where you can lose various bits and, and bring bits up. Well, I, I think, I mean, I've, I've got into the 5.1 world, it just seems. It's just yeah. anything called 5.1. Yeah, I went for 5.2 well, myself. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I just think music, you know, pop music should be cheap and nasty, and you should listen to it on rubbish speakers because that's what it's designed for. You know, you don't really need it to be, you know, NASA weapons grade uh, reproduction. But, um, you know, the, it, we, I think we're going to get to the point where, you're right, this stuff is all going to be available in numerous permutations, in fact, infinite permutations. What's going to happen is you're going to have a glut of past. Yeah. You're going to have a glut of infinite, um, you know, opportunities to wander through all the old stuff and rediscover it, which is fascinating and great, but it's it's a bit of a hole of mirrors, really. But you, it, only, want to it, do it, it, you only want to do it a couple of times, really. Well, I, I don't know. I think people want to do it a lot, you know. I, do I, you? I, yeah, I really do. I, I think what will happen is it will become an even worse dead weight on the forward movement of, of you know, good stuff, of the culture, than what we've had for the past, you know, good few years, which is a, a, a hard-to-dislodge elite in the world of music who continue to do all the big tours, make all the big records, and, you know kind of in the way you know what I mean I got put off with um, of, of the obsession with sound technology when I went, went to uh, a mate's house once he said come around I've got a home cinema I've got, I've got, I've got all the speakers and everything they're all lined up and he, he was playing the, he just said right sit in, sit in that chair we'll turn everything on <laughs> yeah. and he got out his uh, laser disc because at that point these were the things with the Amazing. best, best yes. sound and he put it on and I can't remember what film it was I thought oh great I'm going to watch film and he turned it on and it went like you know THX. Oh, God, I hate that. And he was like, that's fantastic, isn't it? Now, this next bit, and span on about 30 minutes through the film where there was a particularly good explosion, uh, and then span on a bit more. Was, was it like, Star Wars, Matt? It was Star Wars, <laughs> yes, that's, that's just novelty. Yeah. But, but him and his mates just used to sit round, and they used to buy films on Laserdisc just for the kind of sound design, and yeah. they literally didn't used to watch a film. They always used to turn up and then just spin through to their favourite bits. I have to confess that in the very early days of CD... When people used to come round to my house and go, what? With brothers with arms. Brothers in bloody arms. Brothers in arms was certainly the thing that they always used to use to to demonstrate in shops. But no, I used to play Elgar's cello concerto because it was a bit of a solo, you know, uh, the solo instrument where you felt it sort of cut through the air, you know. Mm. And you used to play that to people and they go, oh my God. Now if I hear it, I think, what a horrible noise. It cuts through the air. You know, but it's yeah. just kind of novelty. I want to listen to it on a dance set. I can, all, in I mono. Can, I can also remember going back... In another way, room. Yeah. <laughs> well, somebody said, we tell that bloody rubbish up. I can remember going back to the late 60s when the first arrival of stereo, as it was referred to in Yorkshire. <laughs> Dy- uh, dynamic stereo. <laughs> stereo, where you used to... You had your first step into stereo was you had your standard kind of Bush record player, you know, pretty much all along the lines of a dance set, but slightly more sophisticated. Yeah. And then you would buy an, an extra extension speaker. Have you ever seen this? Well, that's why you stereo is too young. That's why stereo is a rip-off. People in Yorkshire should have spotted this. It's just a way to get you to buy another speaker. So They're just ripping you off. You had this bit that you, you know, as a kind of... I bet there were many it's... people in Yorkshire who said exactly that. Sure, exactly. And then, if you're really ahead of the curve... You invested in a pair of huge headphones, you know, of the kind that oh, used yeah. to, they used to give you in control. the Mega Megastore yeah. to listen to Is the Is there any truth that, you, that you, you actually had to sit on the floor and on lying back on a beach? On a scaffold. You, you couldn't actually raise your, raise your head. These <laughs> <laughs> are the kind of things... What, you like the elephant man? <laughs> <laughs> it's like an astronaut's headset, you know. <laughs> and I, I did that. My, my late grandmother... It was, you know, my, my, my late grandmother must have been born in the 19th century. Yes, she was. And um, I can remember hi- introducing her to the marvellous world of the stereo headphone. You cruel, <laughs> cruel bastard. Huge, great things on her head. And then playing, playing Piper at the Gates of Dawn or something. <laughs> <laughs> Worse. <laughs> Worse, oh, but shorter. Did you just okay. play a train going from left to right and watch it? That watch is it one from... thing I played. <laughs> of course you because did. Because these were on a record by ten years after, <sighs> which gloried in the name of Stonehenge. <laughs> I'm, not making, I'm not making any of this up. Stonehenge. It came out of the DRAM label, which is Decca's progressive rock imprint. Yeah, and in those days, they used to put out the records. So I'm, I'm, I, 
I'm going to go into detail. Yeah, I'm sorry, please, please. if you can't go into That's detail on the Word podcast... Yeah, it's, you've gone too far to go back now, Dave. Yes, yes, absolutely. yes, absolutely. It's three days riding fresh horses to yes. get back to good <laughs> sense. Um, they used to have a little hole in the corner of the sleeve through which you could see the colour of the inner bag... And if it was red, it was mono. And if it was blue, hooray! Blimey. It was stereophones. And so I played her a track of Stonehenge, which is the first time <laughs> I recall the again? drama. Well, for the time she'd been in the 70s. Uh, That's elder abuse. Now. <laughs> that, you get put in jail for that now. <laughs> and... This was, what was the name of the, forgive me, I've forgotten the name of the drummer of 10 years after, it's either Chick Churchill or Leo Lyons, it was in the days when he said, I know you're all, all the rest of you guys are writing songs and you're getting part of the publishing here, I want my own track, and so his own track was, and I'm not exaggerating, Three Blind Mice Played on the Drums, okay, and it was traditional arranged... Chick Churchill or Leo Lyons, I can't remember who. Uh, and, he, and he, you know, there's my grandmother with the headphones on while this thing went... And I see her now with her eyes going, oh, my God, oh, it's travelled from there to there, you know. Do, do, so that do, was the brief period when people were thrilled with stereo. Their expression on their face is saying, we fought the war for the rest, <laughs> did we? For more than one war, yeah. actually. Yeah, probably, yeah, Boer War might have been included. Did you ever do quadraphonics? I never did... No, I've never actually... I must have heard a demonstration of quadraphonics. My, my, my groovy uncle had quadraphonics. Oh, really? Uh, no, but none of us could figure out that. It just seemed a bit frightening. You know, you were surrounded by... Ele- so we were kids, and you were surrounded by electric. It might be dangerous. <laughs> so don't, you know, keep away from that. What records did he have? Oh, God, I don't know. Wasn't Deep oh, Purple at the Royal Albert Hall? Wasn't that a quadraphonic record? Well, they used to so, put yeah. out... All I, I remember, he had Big Brother and the Holding Company. But well, I don't think that was quadraphonic. That can't have been quadraphonic, can yeah, it? They, I, I used to, when I was working at HMV, they used to have a rack, this is mid 70s, of quadraphonic records, and it probably had about 50 records in and it. And did anyone ever buy any of the quadraphonic? Yes, because basically, if you had a quadraphonic, you wanted pretty much anything that came out. You know, because yeah. you, know, you had more money than sense by definition. It was the Blu ray <laughs> of its day. And therefore, yes. Or, yes. the, or the what's the other one? Did, uh, the did one you see them coming, Dave? They used to just come straight in and go go over to the quarterfinal, and they, you know, when is uh, Dark Side of the Moon or Tubular Bells coming out of court? Yeah. Do you want uh, and with that? God knows <laughs> where they. Is Sun there anybody? We want to know. Back on your own. <laughs> We want to know, is anybody out there still listening to Quadraphonic? Oh, is anybody listening to the podcast in Quadraphonic? <laughs> Can we do a Quadraphonic we mix of it? Is anybody listening to the podcast? Yes. No, <laughs> by this stage, no. <laughs> oh, we want to know, if you know of anybody, there's bound to be somebody. It's like yeah. Danny Kelly used to collect eight tracks long after all sensible people had stopped having them. Well, he never had them at the Did time. Did ever start? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he just liked the idea of them. He liked the idea of anything so anachronistic and stupid, you know. Mm. They used to collect them. There must be somebody doing the same with... Uh, with quad. Yeah. Do you ever hear an eight-track, Andrew? You're too young. I'm uh, not that young, Dave. Come on, yes, I've heard eight-tracks. And what, what weird what, thing of the infinite... The Mebius loop of the album that never changes. What is, what is, what is the main, the least user-friendly quality of the eight-track? Do you remember? <laughs> Um, you could never find the song that you wanted because you had to hop between the eight tracks. It used to stop in the middle of a song. Did it? Oh, yes. Because it divided the thing up into eight tracks, I think. Yeah. So you got programs. Band eight. And so you'd have the Carpenters, whatever it's called, yesterday and today, (coughs) and halfway through calling occupants of interplanetary craft, it'd just stop, and then you'd hear a whirring... A few seconds later, start again. Fantastic. You can't believe that anybody how actually How did anybody paper. come up with that? It's the most... How did anybody, it, how did it, anybody it came, part with good cash for it? That's it came the along just before... I know it's bizarre to think about this. It came along just before the cassette player became yeah. huge and, and music, widely music adopted. Cassette. And it was all you know, about... So anybody who had a, had a player in the car... It was all about driving... It's all about portability, isn't it? It's all about driving in the car. Yeah. Being able to listen to music in your car. Yeah, because, but, because but why was it any more portable than a cassette? It was twice... It was clearly less before the, before the cassette. Oh, right. So, yes. you know... But uh, if, you're, if you're designing a, a method of storing music on magnetic tape... 
Surely the cassette, as it was, is the most obvious way of doing it. A bloody infinite loop of tape with the album sliced into four bits. I think it may so have been. I, and, 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 and here so. I, I, I we'd, we'd very much like anybody who knows out there to be listening to, you know, to tell us. You know, because we obviously don't know anything we're talking oh. about here. You know, you're free to fill in the the, the blanks. Shout uh, at the yeah. shout at your. I think the cassette format was invented by Philips. Format. I think you're right. Yeah, right. and I think for a while they didn't license it to anybody else. And what this game is always about with Quadraphonic, with uh, mini disc, it's always about people like Sony, EMI. Phillips trying to have a proprietary format mm. which they get everybody else to pay for, yeah. mm. uh, which is never succeeds or has not succeeded since CD. Because mm. Phillips did CD. CD as well, they? I can remember when cassettes came out because the thing that. So go on, when did they come out? Well, I can remember my dad getting cassettes in about 1972, three maybe. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. And the thing that struck me was that cassettes had on the spine the speed at which the cassette would play one and seven eighth of an inch per second oh, on the spine. <laughs> And the first album I ever got was a cassette of Sladest by Slade. Yes. Um, which I got for my birthday. So they had a speed because yeah. they thought we were used to the idea of speed because of 45, 78 and 33, presumably. Yeah, well, you know, people like, you must as much as people would go, well, I, I need a needle for me cassette player. They, they, <laughs> they would go, well, what speed does it go at? Is it a 33 or 45 tape? And, you know, you, you, your choices, you either say to people, the speed doesn't matter, very hard for them to get their head around, or you just go, uh... One and seven-eighths of an inch per second, sir. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yes, yes. That sounds good. Yes. And, of course, the, the amazing thing is that within a few years of the cassette being introduced, it was the leading music carrier in the world, wasn't it? Mm. it well, was because the, you could take things thing. and you'd never been able to do that before. And, uh, well, I don't, I don't think it was just that. People like... I remember the big easily, easy listening boom of the 70s, Cat Stevens, Carpenters, Elton John, all that. It was all cassette. That was where you sold it. I suppose it was car, actually. Well, it was in car. Yeah. Two things. One was car. And two, actually, if your equipment that you were playing it on was okay, it was actually very difficult to damage. Whereas a yes. record, you put it on, yeah, yeah, you, know, you yeah, scratch yeah. it, it's ruined. No, no, I mean, very, very quickly you realise that you know, there's a scratch on a record, well, it's just a scratch. If a tape goes wrong, the whole album... Yeah, but... but yes. It, just it, it, started, the tape it starts to do that weird phasing thing. You go, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, my favourites were, the, were the, at the end of it, at the end of the cassettes, kind of natural life, hmm. when they kept, when they were trying to kind of come up with ways to to improve it, and they made a C one twenty cassette. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, what about? Do you remember which what? always, without fail, wowed and fluttered at the wowed end. Of, yes. Because it was pulling too much. Yeah, wasn't it? Do you remember when Ireland um, started putting out albums, the whole album on one side of the cassette and the other side was blank for your own personal use? And there was terrible kerfuffle about this because home taping was killing music. Yeah. Do you remember? Ireland, who remembers when home taping was killing music? <laughs> yeah. Bring it back. <laughs> yes. Who remembers? Please. Who remembers? And I was thinking about this the other day. I actually bought. I think. I think there were only three issues, and then for some reason it. Folded the cassette magazine. Oh, SFX. Well, SFX. Actually, yes. it was about 19 than... issues. I bought them oh, all, really? and there's a picture of them in the next issue of uh, Word, actually. Fantastic. They're in Found in the Attic. It was great. So you it got was. 19 issues then? 19 <laughs> issues of SFX. It was the original podcast. It really you was. Listened, it really was. And they were not allowed to put music on no, it. No, not at all. So it was all amazing chat. I remember. Uh, it's still, you know, still not Hugh allowed Con- to listen to music. Hugh Cornwell talking to Bob Geldof or something like that. And the thing that sank them was um, they thought they didn't have to charge VAT because they thought they were a magazine. And the oh, Office of Fair right. Trading determined that they were an album and they had to charge VAT, backdated. Ouch. End of company. Who published this effect? I think it was an independent publisher. It was really good. It was a fantastic magazine. I've still got them somewhere at my mum's. I'll dig them out. <laughs> dig them out and upload and, them. Andrew, how many, how, many, how many dead magazines have you got every issue of? Uh, <laughs> I don't, God, cool. quite a lot, I think, <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> Too many. Yes. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. So, talking of the music business dying, two headlines from <laughs> on Music Week. Yes. Yeah, on its arse. <laughs> um, on its arse desk. Two headlines <laughs> I give you from Music Week, the trade paper this week, which has just gone, gone in for the second revamp in a year, which indicates... On its arse. Not everything is perfect. Uh, well, and to be fair, Music Week, you know, used to... Its core circulation used to be record shops. Remember yeah. those? Because uh, you pull out the chart and, yeah. you know... Stick it in the throw away the rest. Yeah. Well, OK. Yeah. Well, they, they don't have stuff to order, you know. But anyway, two headlines from this, and I want to know which you think is the most, you know, the far, most far-reaching in its implications. One is Sister Ray, the, the you know the, the record shop in Soho, which is a proper record shop. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, it's a proper serious record shop. You can get T-shirts in there. You can get rock, vinyl. You can get, loads you can get whatever of you want. It, it, that's in liquidation, right? 
And the other is, I couldn't believe it. I had to read this four times to make sure I didn't got this wrong. Labels refuse credit to Woolworths. So the record labels are saying to Woolworths, who are, you know, undergoing tough times at the moment, no, we want money up front before we supply you with our product. Isn't that, that, isn't that a pot calling a cattle bankrupt thing? <laughs> yeah. If I was Woolies, if I was noted discount retailer Woolies as we enter the darkness of a 10-year depression... A of pick-and-mix sweeps. Exactly. I'd be thinking, maybe there's a future with me and not with you, record company. You know. But, I mean, record, record companies used to look at the singles market and, you know, 20% of it or whatever was yeah. Woolworths, wasn't it? They haven't stopped. It was huge. They stopped stock, stock in singles about two years ago, I think, having put the singles in a kind of degrading little cardboard box... You know, the top 30 all tatty and chewed next to the, you know, the, the discount DVDs and the, and the top-up cards. And it died this long, lingering death. And they haven't sold singles in a good while. Mind but you, do they I mean, sell albums? Sell, do they sell CDs too? I think they still sell CDs, yeah. a very small smattering. Uh, in, in so which, is the, the, which yeah. of the two is the most significant? Is it the fact that a very specialist... Record shops traditionally knows its market very yeah. well, you know, because people always say, oh, record shops, if they're going to survive, they've got to, they've got to really know what they're about... Well, you know, they arguably know what they're about. Is yeah. it them that, that going that's the pro- biggest problem, or is it the high street going that's the problem? I think, pardon me, I think it's Sister Ray, because whatever else, I mean, you know, Sister Ray had people who liked it and people who went to King, but ultimately it was for the music lover, the specialist music connoisseur who really likes um, the experience that everybody else hates, which is being in the dark room with a load of, you know, dusty old record sleeves, looking, spending hours looking through, you know, uh, Balkan funk A to G. Um, if that's in trouble, then the music business is properly in trouble. Woolies was, was, was for the passing trade. Uh, you know, it's, you know, top 20 singles, and that's great, but we know that the top 20 singles thing is completely but changed. But don't you actually have to take, but you know, aren't these stories a different sides of the same coin? They are. In that, who buys records in record shops anymore? Who buys music in record shops anymore? I know a guy who runs a specialist um, second-hand store in Manchester, and he's just saying, you know, there's just no money in it because everybody mm. buys their specialist collectible <coughs> stuff on eBay or mm-hmm. the web or you know, Amazon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. whatever you know. Mm. Um, and then the big, the big chart hits. It's the supermarkets, isn't it? Yeah, who are discounting them too? You know, yeah, or iTunes, or you download it onto your phone, or you know, but you don't. But actually. The physical bit of the music is that is the interesting thing. To be the interesting thing about Sister Ray versus Woolies, though, is that what we're all told is the thing that will save retail in general, not just music, but the selling of stuff, is the shopping experience. Is is you know enjoying the business of going into a shop, being there, and you know it's not so much the stuff you walk out of at the end in your bag. It's how you spend your forty-five minutes in the shop, and the shopping experience of a place like Sister Ray is. The legendary record shop experience, isn't yeah. it? It's the dark temple. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's going, Nick Hornby and that, it's all that yeah. stuff. It's it's you know uh, haughty disdain from the staff. Yeah. It's uh, I'm cooler than you. Smell it's, of patchouli oil. Have you got you know this record that doesn't exist, etc., etc. And I read a very interesting thing on the arts blog um, Harry's Place, uh, which is kind of friends of the magazine. Somebody tore into um, Sister Ray saying, "No wonder they went down the tubes. The shopping experience was horrible." But I would have thought that if you're the kind of person who's in the Sister Ray market, their shopping experience was brilliant because you felt you were entering the underworld. You felt you were stepping out of the overlit strip mall ethic of the big chains of the Zavis and all the rest of it. You're really go- you're descending into the underworld for your prize. And if went- that doesn't work, then that the, business is really in trouble. Yeah, I, mean, I was actually in Sister Ray's about a month ago and I really enjoyed it, and I spent a good half because I thought I had like twenty minutes to kill yeah. before meeting someone, and so I went in there and I browsed it for twenty minutes. I found some things. I thought, well, they're quite interesting. I didn't buy anything. Mm. Well, this is it. Did you think, hmm, I'll buy that spe- for cheaper on eBay. Spe- well, no, I just thought, oh yeah, quite, uh, no, yeah. and wandered off yeah. afterwards. See, I, I think I now spend more money on music than I have done at any time in the past ten years. Mm. Really, the problem is it all goes through e-music, iTunes, and actually, bizarrely, the Word's own um, download site. Yes, highly recommend. No, Other download it's sites available. are available. Yeah, but <laughs> but not no, as good no, 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 it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think it's <laughs> really not. Yeah. Not the BBC here. Yeah, no, I mean... Well, the minute anybody's paying on a licence fee, Matt, we'll apologise. We should introduce a licence fee. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think that people can complain about it? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm spending a lot of money on music now. Yeah. Much more than I did ten years ago. Um, none of it really well, physical. The whole point is that when you, when you do 
an impulse buy in a shop, you have to be in the shop to do the impulse buy. Mm. Number of times I've been kind of listening to Radcliffe and McConey on Radio Two in the evening, yeah. and they've played something, an old track, and it's like, oh yeah. Mm. Well, oh, you yeah. buy it straight away, don't yeah. you? Online. Yeah, precisely. You don't have to hold it in your head until your next no. happen to be walking past a record shop big enough to stock it. The weird thing precisely. is, actually, the, the last few times I've got into a big record shop, I've thought I should go in and buy, you know, I'll go and have a nose around and buy stuff. And I walk in, and then I find myself standing there going, why am I here? What do I want? I can't think of anything I want. You know, I'm just kind of... The, 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 the disconnect between the way they want to sell to you and the way your brain works has become so great now. That even though I sort of, I, I kind of feel like I have a duty to buy records. Do from you record distinguish? Shops. I mean, sometimes I distinguish between kind of like major albums or albums on major labels where I think, oh, I'll just buy that through iTunes, and like the Dave Mason one that you were writing about in the magazine the other month. And I thought, oh yeah, I have to actually like to. I've never seen that right. physical copy of that. I'll go and buy that, and I'll get, I'll order it from a shop, and I'll yeah. get it, and you know. Yeah. I find myself buying records in the space of sponsorship these days. If it's if it's certain yeah. bands that I think. If I'm not going to give them two quid for the single on Monday, nobody is. Yeah. I will, and you know, and in, in, in our in our job, as the listeners probably know, uh, we can get the records for free if we want. All we've got to do is ring up. But I, just, I, I can't be bothered. I just sort of think, well, you know, I love British Sea Power. If I haven't got two quid in my pocket for British Sea Power, it's a pretty poor show. But, but there you really need... Now, do you, in that case, need, in the end, the physical product? to indicate your loyalty to British Sea Power. Because well, I, I do about certain things. Yeah. I th- you know, well, because otherwise it's charity. If it's, it's a bit, you know. No, it's no but I mean, if, it's, you know, if a Bob Dylan well, record just... comes out, in the end, I will buy a physical copy of it. I simply, yeah. I will have to. Well, there, there, are, there are sound... Yeah, but what you probably do is you probably get sent it. Whereas Not Andrew's necessarily. Definitely. I will go and buy it. Yeah. yeah. There, are, I, there are sound, selfish reasons to want to have the physical object in your hand, which is we don't know what's going to get invented after MP3. We don't yeah. know what's going to get invented after, you know, Og Vorbis and Flack and all the rest of it. The incredible things may be on the way, and you'll want your CD to be able to transform it into the new thing, whether it's, you know, implanted directly into your brain or whatever. Oh, look at You'll still want the CD. Um, I don't think it is just pure charity, but it certainly is. Sponsorship, you know, you feel like you're, you know, back in the horse. You want well, that, that guy um, again that I read about in the magazine, and I didn't know what he'd been doing. He used to uh, this guy called Alan Tyler, who used to be the lead singer of the Rocket Birds, and he's got a new album out. And mm-hmm. I don't know how many people are going to buy it. Probably not that many. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. I actually went and found it yeah. online and put down my seven ninety nine or whatever. Yeah. So that's the that's the music business dealt with again for this yes. week. You know, we've offered our <laughs> our wisdom, our panaceas. None of us are going to rush in and Just, buy Sister Ray. Yeah, to wrap even it up, what, what are we telling the music business to do again? I, uh, well, I it, you know, I that the music business at the moment, I'm sure it, it, it's agonising trying to make money, and everywhere they turn, they're surrounded by superior sounding people yeah. going, "Oh, you don't well, want to do what that. do these people yeah. expect?" You know, analysts in the city, you know, opinion <laughs> mongers in the in the in the broadsheets, you know, smart asses like us yes. going. What are you going to do? I don't know what they're going to do at all, you know. But, uh, you know, there have been crises before. The word. Talking of... Uh, no, I can't make this. I can't make this a smooth segue. Why do I do that? I don't know, because I, be... I always just drop a stick in there anyway. <laughs> good. Thank <laughs> God. The thing that you really have had to hear in the last week, um, which was actually, I think we can claim a little bit of a web first here, actually, that, that somebody posted this on the Word website, was an interview, a, a recording of an interview. It's gone viral, Dave. It's gone viral. It got picked up by The Guardian. It's gone all over the place. Uh, it's an interview uh, conducted by Les Ross of, uh, where's he from? West Midlands Radio, I uh, think he is? Radio WM, yeah, BBC yeah. WM. Okay, so BBC West Midlands. An interview conducted by Les Ross with Hardeep Singh Kohli mm-hmm. um, to uh, presumably publicise some book or something. Yeah. And so it is in the. Ma- I don't know how we summarise this for the benefit of anybody who hasn't heard it. You can go on the words website wordmagazine.co.uk. I'll post a link to it. You know, with this with this podcast. But it's like a meeting between I don't know Trevor Phillips, the you know, the guy who runs the. What does Trevor Phillips run? CRE. Commission for Racial Equality or whatever it's called. It's like a meeting between him and Alan Partridge at his most... Obtuse. (laughs) Most unreconstructed, isn't it? Hardeep's kind of funnier than Trevor Phillips. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But it's like like your worst nightmare of a a local radio DJ has just returned through the years. Yeah, I think... Come back. Go on. No, it is is a toe-curlingly embarrassing (laughs) interview in which he manages to mix up 
Hardeep's the book that Hardeep's plugging, which is a kind of I think a light hearted. I haven't read the book, but then I'm not interviewing him. A, a, a light hearted look at kind of um, food and uh, India, and um, he mixes that up with a um, serious documentary that. Coley had recently done for Radio 4 about the partition of India in which oh, millions of people died. Yeah, why are we laughing? Yeah, go on. Um, and it's, you know, it's a little bit of a difficult one to kind of ah. to, to extricate yourself on. But I think that when listening to it, my um, immediate thought was, and you know this as well, Debbie, because you've worked in local radio, that there but for the... No, not there but for the grace of God, because it was a really stupid thing to do, but very, very few people in, in BBC local radio probably any local radio, but BBC local radio and the only people that interview people, actually do the research. Oh, yeah. They've, mm. None of them do. No, no, no. And they rely on the interviewer playing ball. Absolutely. And so Les Ross attempts to jolly things along in between loads of borderline offensive, you know, things. How would you describe yourself? Asian, British, Scottish, or whatever. And, oh, we all have to call Senso Senso in these political correct times. Really kind of ham-fisted, do-not-go-there yeah. stuff. And so he attempts to kind of jolly and bluster his way along. And Hardeep does the, 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 the most cruel thing that an interviewee can do in that, in that circumstance, which is say, what do you mean? He plays a stroke Be- back. Because Les doesn't know what he means. Mm. You know what I mean? He's just kind of making noises. He's, I'm Les Ross. My job is to be a bit jolly and a bit zany and get you to the news. And whatever I say actually doesn't, doesn't have any happen. meaning at all. Yeah. When he's asked to account for anything he says, he's nowhere to go at yeah. all, does he? And the other thing is, of course, that what will have happened is Les Ross is sat in a studio on his own Yes. And Hardeep Singh Kohli is sat in another studio 120 miles away in broadcasting Yeah, there's no eye contact. On his own. There's no eye contact. There's no way to pleadingly look at yes, the subject. Please stop. On. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and in fact... You That's know, true. Probably nobody... You know, it would take a very hard-hearted person to do that in a face-to-face situation. Yes. It's a lot easier when you're just talking into a microphone. Yeah, yeah. Give somebody enough rope and just let them hang themselves. And then what he does, what Coley does in the end, is say, I really don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, and not in an unpleasant way. Yeah. But, you know, he's tried. Yeah. yeah. He's tried to keep the thing on an even keel, you know, but it's just hopeless. Yeah. Faced with Les's just idiocy. <laughs> But here's the, here's the bit of detail that I found out subsequently. You might have thought, Matt, that that was live. That it was done in a way that they couldn't call it back. Oh, no. Well, they put it It out. was recorded. No. Oh, yes. It was recorded. And somebody went through it and went, hmm, bit difficult, bit, bit edgy. Never mind. <laughs> Did put they, it out. Somebody thought this is Radio Dynamite. Let's see. <laughs> they put it out. Thinking it was really good. God. So there you go. Who thought that was a good idea? Well, whoever is the programme director at Radio West Midlands and had ten yeah. minutes to fill. Well, here we are news. talking about it. You know, it's. it's uh, I mean, yes. it, it strikes me as a kind of, um, you know, like a really, uh, you know, underdeveloped version of Channel Four late night Friday talkability. It yes. doesn't matter what it is, as long as they're talking about it. Yeah, if they were pissed, it would have been all right, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. And the other problem, of course, is in BBC local radio is that as they don't have any needle time allowance anymore. They can't go to a record. They just keep talking. They yeah. just have to keep talking. And it's dig, which reminds me of my, of my favourite ever, and I'm not sure if it's a completely apocryphal story, but uh, the, fa- the story of Victor Lewis Smith, um, who used to live in York, um, and who, who got really, really teed off with the phone-in, the late-night phone-in in the, on the local station. And he knew, because he's a kind of radio anorak, that that, that guy doing the phone-in was the only guy in the building. <laughs> right, there was nobody else in the building. Not even a producer, not even somebody to go and make a tea. He also knew that the phone lines worked on an eight-line switchboard, which the guy operated in the studio. And Victor, at <laughs> two o'clock in the morning one night, rang up every phone line. And as the bloke picked it up, he went, call her on line one. He just put it on hold. And he went all the way through clicking off every line. And then when he got to the eighth line, and the guy was getting increasingly desperate and increasingly panicked, and Victor just apparently said, now what are you going to do? And oh, God. And he knew oh, the God. guy couldn't leave the room. The guy had to keep talking. And the guy immediately thinks, there's someone outside yeah. with a big knife. Yeah. I'm going to be the first person to die on live radio. Misty for me. And the next, and the next <laughs> hour and a half, or whatever what it was, this, before the morning relief came in, this guy just had to sit there and talk. 
<laughs> into a microphone. But of course, now those were the good old days, Matt, because they, <laughs> because yeah. a radio station broadcasting through the night actually had a person there. One person. Most <laughs> radio stations nowadays broadcasting through the night have might have a security man down in the uh, on the ground floor. Mm. The rest of it That's is coming straight off a computer. It's, isn't got, it? it's called a Dalit. Oh really? It's called it a Dalit, yeah. and it it works like a Dalek. It it just it's just full of music, isn't it? I it mean, just, I, yeah. Well, there was a, I've been at radio stations. I've sat and watched presenters in the middle of the afternoon before they go home. Just sit there, open the mic, and go. You're listening to Sensor mm. FM. I hope you're enjoying it. It's two and now a little bit, yeah. a little bit of Sensor. And all they're doing is recording a load of links, which can be put in the computer and then dropped in at appropriate points during the during the broadcast. And so. The only time you ever hear a live person on these things is I think they had a... Didn't they have a bit of an embarrassing situation at KISS FM? Not that... Well, a few years ago, say not long ago, Mm. about five or six years ago, where some DJ was out on the town in London with a girl trying to impress her. (laughs) (laughs) Where's this going? Drunk as a a skunk. And uh, said, yeah, I'm on the radio. Yeah, come back with me. Bluffed his way past the security man went into the live studio and started doing something that nobody does on those stations, which is actually broadcasting. And, uh, you know, said a few ill-advised things. I think he was fired the following day, actually. So if you hear a live DJ on a, on a commercial station in the middle of the night, it's an intruder. It's a burglar, basically, isn't it? It's not somebody who's supposed to be there. They're probably not supposed to be there. This entire podcast is produced by a computer in that way, isn't it, Matt? You just sit here shuffling the, the, the yes. sound bites around on the shuffling, screen. Shuffling all the old bollocks. We're not really here. <laughs> so, uh, one more I mean, thing. The reason Mark Ellen's not here this week is because the disc's, disc's corrupted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While we're talking about local broadcasting, uh, this week ITV are you know, cutting back on all their, uh, all their local news programmes they've been told it's okay so to do aren't they you know in the face of the advertising recession and so forth and so I think we ought to just you know tip our hat to the fact that these programmes and I suppose particularly the kind of magazine programmes that went out between six and seven traditionally you know after the after the news locally mm-hmm. have played a huge part in providing TV debuts to people who subsequently went on to be terribly well known haven't mm-hmm. they so, you know, the, the Beatles' first TV appearance was on People and Places in, on Granada, which mm-hmm. was their, their programme in that slot in 1962. And then there was things like, well, Tony Wilson, Tony Wilson. Yeah. Granada yeah. Reports. Used King to, of Granada Land. He used yes. to just hook in anybody he fancied, you know, yeah. and just put them in there in between the, you know, a report on the local barges and, uh, you know, what was happening to the local council. You'd mm. get Jilted John or whatever, wouldn't you? And... Um, Janet Street Porter also run that thing, London Weekend, the London Weekend program. Yeah, Mr. Daniel Baker. Which Danny Baker did, which was one of the things, uh, one of the first places I ever saw, Sex Pistols and people like Spandau Ballet. Was and that probably... One for London or something like it was called, wasn't it? Oh, well, that might have, might have been another one. Yeah, you know? I think it was, wasn't it called the London Weekend Show? The, the, yeah, I think there's more than one in, in, in that kind of local art strand, you know. So, um, you know... Well, going back, to what we were, going back to what we were talking about earlier, the, the, the person, the most influential person on pop music in, in history uh, can be blamed for this as well because it was Margaret Thatcher who deregulated uh, independent television. Uh, the franchises went to people who paid the most, not the people who could guarantee a level of delivery, and then we end up where we are now, one big giant ITV, and local provision is not really profitable, so it's going to go. It's going to go the way of, you know, religious programming and, you know, kids programming and all the rest of it. And on that bomb. And on that bomb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we 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 can't go without plugging the backstage podcasts, Matt, which are going great guns. We got one with Don Felder at the Eagles, which was has uh, been up the last well, week. I didn't say that because I had nothing to do with it. That's okay. Really good. And this morning I did one with Clive James and Pete Atkin, and uh, so that'll be up. Uh, that'll be up very soon. Clive James, I'm very I'm very pleased to say he's got a book. Uh, he's got a book. Um, coming out this week and so I said where are you going now he says I'm going home to check my Amazon rating <laughs> so even even a kind of you know, somebody in an exalted position as Clive James goes and checks so if you bought Clive James's book 
Go and do it on Amazon, because you, yeah. you know that somewhere in Cambridge or wherever he is, he'll be going, a little smile. Well, you a, fr- know. a friend he'll of mine... Go to his dinner with a happy smile. A friend of mine, who I'm not going to name, um, tried to uh, enlist us all in a bit of Amazon hyping. Please buy my book, but buy it at 2 o'clock on a Friday. <laughs> and it will, you know, as close as you can, and it will spike. It will go right by opening. And, you know, apparently oh, really? it kind of works. So you can, you can hype Amazon if you want to. However, how did your hyping of uh, Half Man Half Biscuit into the charts get? Uh, my Facebook uh, hyping <laughs> of Half Man Half Biscuit, apparently the most successful album in years, directly attributable to my oh, really? Facebook. Fantastic. I don't know. No, just, they're on a roll, aren't they, Half Man Half Biscuit? They, you know, but the tide of history is with them. So have you got something else in the notices, well, Andrew, we were just, then? we were discussing that just before, the, before we started rolling. The, 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 the notion of, um, you know, seeing... Matt mentioned, we went to see Echo and the Bunnymen at the Albert Hall a, a short while ago, and he mentioned um, when they did Glastonbury in 1985, they played a completely covers set, didn't they? They played, what was it, People Are Strange and... Yeah, People Are Strange and um, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. And, and yeah. it was completely unexpected. When people were expecting the hits of Echo yeah. and the Bunnymen. What they got was all these, you know... Bizarre it was a bit of a trend for it, actually, because Costello did one a couple of years afterwards that was quite similar. Yeah, so what we were thinking was that this is actually, you know, well, we've now had the, I'm going to do the album Soup to Nuts, Beginning to End, um, I'm going to sort of recreate something from the past here. And that's what, what was once a novelty has very quickly become a bit of a kind of a commonplace. What about the entirely unannounced, unpredictable cover set? You go and see a band, and you literally don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, none yeah. of your favourites. None of your favourites, yeah. None of the greatest hits. I mean, some of my favourite bands I had to stop going to see because I knew what I was going to get you yeah. know, in the course of the evening. But I would love to buy a ticket for one of my favourite bands with no idea what they were going to play. That's a really good point. I would love nothing more than to see Bruce Springsteen do two hours of other people's songs. Yeah. Because he's always done loads of them, and I'd love to hear him do it. I'm more interested in hearing that than mm. hearing again what. I've they'd, have to, they'd have to guarantee that there'd be there'd be a few well-known numbers that you could well, hum along so, to. Okay, yeah. if somebody's bothered to pick somebody else's song, there's generally something memorable about. Then it. again, there's nothing more miserable than the band that decides it's going to do the covers thing, but what it's going to do is the covers you've never heard of because yeah. it wants to show how you know kind of uh, what connoisseurs they are in the band and I'm how specific. I'm thinking of Guns N' Roses, the spaghetti incident. You're the, you're the only person on the face of the earth who's thinking about that record right now. Nobody else is thinking about it. I mean, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to buy a ticket to go and see the Pet Shop Boys with no idea what they were going to play, because I know they would say she's fantastic songs yeah. and do them brilliantly well. OK, so take note. Yes. That's our, that's, we've dropped, dropped that's a word to, in the ear of popular music. That's how to save the music industry. Yes, we've actually done it, haven't we? We've saved the music industry. We set ourselves a challenge at the beginning of the show, and we've completed the challenge. Let's go to the pub. Right. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.